1 Samuel chapter 30, starting at verse 1. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Now look at verse 6. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter. They were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Other versions say, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. David and his men returned to their town. Imagine being gone from your, your town, whether it's Tulsa or Broken Arrow or Jinx or whatever your town is. And you return to find your home burned to the ground and your family has been taken. Please come into the story. Come into the text. Come into what was happening then. Because if somehow we can connect at any level with what was happening then and learn what God's going to say to us today, the difference can be made. See David and his mighty men. They come and the enemy has raided their town, burned their homes to the ground, and taken their sons, daughters, they're taking their wives. Their families are now in captivity. David was the one anointed by Samuel. Soon thereafter, he kills the giant. Saul is still the king and on the throne, but becomes very jealous. Ends up trying to kill David. Is hunting him down. We still have that scenario going on. David is having success, but he's still trying to manage the situation of being anointed as king but not being king out having success and people are saying you know Saul has killed his thousands but David his tens of thousands David growing in influence and Saul diminishing in influence Saul's jealous and hunting David now if that wasn't enough David returns home and his home's burned to the ground his family is gone kidnapped by the enemy now, the end of the story, it all turns good, and you need to know that. After David encouraged himself in the Lord, he heard from God, and God said, you will recover, and he ended up recovering everything he had lost. The scripture says it. He got his family back. He became wealthy. Every one of those mighty men became wealthy overnight as a result of this, this story. And after this story, David becomes the king. So everything turns. David doesn't know that's going to happen. He's at the point where everything is lost. He doesn't know that in the future, it's going to be like country music played backwards. You get your family back, the farm back, the dog back. He's going to get it all back. But he doesn't know that. So he comes to a very interesting place. And the scripture says 
The mighty men became bitter, and David encouraged himself in God. If it ends up being so incredible, our minds would race back to how do you encourage yourself. But I think there's something else before you ever get to that question. And if we can see it today, it will leave us changed. So Lord, at your word, make the difference. Speak to our hearts. Make us better. Make the difference. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Joshua Bell is one of the great violinists in the world. He had just filled Boston Symphony Hall, the cheapest seat going for over $100, as people listened to this this great musician. The very next day, the Washington Post wanted to do an experiment, so Joshua Bell goes to one of the busiest metro stations in Washington, D.C., He puts out his violin case, opens it up, and he takes a few dollars and puts it in the case. And then he takes his violin and he begins to play as the thousands of people come through the station. Here is the best violinist in the world playing a violin worth over $3 million, playing some of the greatest songs of all time. This man with such influence, he's just the night before filled the Boston Symphony Hall with the cheapest seat going for $100, is now standing in the D.C. metro station and he's playing the phenomenal instrument. He's the phenomenal musician playing incredible songs and people just pass right by and they don't, it's like greatness is hidden in plain view. At the end of the day, only a few people stopped and there was $27 in his violin case. Washington Post did this as an experiment of context, perception, and priorities. Context, perception, and priorities, of which I will get to later. But the first thing is how these people were passing right by what was hidden in plain view. As I read 1 Samuel 30, and I knew the Spirit of God was leading me to this passage for us this morning, my mind raced to the obvious. David encouraged himself. If I can learn that, perhaps my life can be helped as his was helped. But I was checked. I was was not released to go into that as important as it is. And God made me to see what was hidden in this passage in my plain view. And perhaps you already see it, but in case you don't, I want to make sure we see what is hidden in plain view in 1 Samuel 30. Because it comes before the strategy of encouraging ourselves in the Lord. When we read it and we entered into the story... We find David at a time where you know the enemy is saying to him as he looked at at his burned down city and his family is now kidnapped, he is hearing this message. If God promised you would be king, he has obviously changed his mind. You are a terrible leader. There is no way you will get beyond this. 
as if trying to avoid being murdered by King Saul and to still be loyal to the king who is trying to kill you, to manage life the way you've been managing. Obviously, you see now that you are forgotten, you are abandoned, and you have no future. Those are the messages being deposited in his heart. You see, the mighty men around David turned to bitterness. It says they became bitter and thought of stoning David. David turned to God and encouraged himself. What I just said was that which is hidden in plain view. It's the choice. Before we learn how to encourage ourselves, we have to make a choice. David came and his mighty men came to an intersection. The intersection provided a choice. Will you be bitter or better? Will you turn to your own rationale and perception Will you put it into context through your own mind and then establish priority? Or will you turn to God, let him give you perception of the situation and priority? If I manage the choice correctly, I will respond as David and then learn how to encourage myself in God. If I'm like the other mighty men, I put it into my context through my rationale and my perception is David is a horrible leader. There is no future. It's his fault that all this is happening and here's the priority. Let's stone him. The choice, the intersection of bitter and better. Here's what's true of every one of us in this room. We will come to that intersection. And every one of us will be faced with this choice. And you have to make that choice before you get to the step of self-encouragement. You don't come to this intersection on a good day. You come to this intersection when things are not going well. On a very bad day. And the temptation is to react and not yield at the intersection and look down at what's happening in the people who chose Bitter Street. And as you study them, you'll find the farther they go down Bitter Street, the more negative, frustrated, irritable, angry, fear-filled, skeptical, and defeated they become. Yield long enough to look at those down Better Street, and you will find the more successful in, in the true definition of success they become the stronger they become. Look, yield for a moment, and and look at how the same circumstance that leads to being bitter can lead to being better. Consider how adversity seeks to isolate me and I start thinking that no one knows and understands what I'm going through. And so I head down Bitter Street because if people were going through what I'm going through, they would also be bitter. 
No one understands. No one can relate. If they could, they would be on Bitter Street with me. But if we'll look down Better Street, we will find people on Better Street that have the same circumstances as those on Bitter Street. See this. The mighty men and David, their homes had been burned to the ground, their families taken. David turns down Better Street. The mighty men turn down Bitter Street. The same circumstance that leads to being bitter can lead to being better. It depends on the choice at the intersection. I want you to consider this. If you come down Better Street and you do some interviews, you will interview people that have suffered incredible tragedy, loss, sickness, abuse, abandonment. The very same stories as those on Bitter Street. But because these people made a choice to be better, they're strengthening, succeeding, finding effectiveness in life, wholeness, healing. While these people with the same stories, not isolated incidents, not one-of-a-kind situations. No, there are people on Better Street with the same stories, stories of divorce, stories of abortion, stories of addiction, stories of, of incredible pain. But these people chose Bitter Street and are becoming locked down. And if they don't circle back to the intersection and make a different choice, they will leave a hurt legacy. While these people travel down better straight, being wounded healers, leaving a legacy that no matter how difficult it becomes, there is a God who is more than enough and you can learn how to encourage yourself in him. Hmm. The choice has to be made. I have to confess there are times with the circumstances of my life, I tried both streets simultaneously. But it's impossible. You can't be bitter and better at the same time. You you can't choose both streets. It's one or the other. For Samuel, the hidden, the hidden. Treasure in plain view that rings out a great song today is that there is a choice. It is a choice. I am not forced down Bitter Street, nor will I be forced down Better Street. I must mature to know that everyone on Better Street are not there because they've had no issues. No problems to where my mind says, well, if they had gone through what I've gone through, they wouldn't be succeeding. They would be over here skeptical, hurting, and and fearful like I am. No, they have the same story. But they made a different choice. You have been given the power of choice. I'm not saying it's an easy choice. I'm saying you have to yield. You have to really process. You need to look down Bitter Street and see where it leads. You need to look down Better Street. It's not easy to turn down Better Street when you have lost everything. 
when you are hurting beyond words, when you're hurting more than you've ever hurt before, when you are filled with every question that a human mind can hold at one time, it's not easy, but the word of God says it's possible. And it shows the result. If I'll turn. If you've gone down Bitter Street, take the next exit. Take the exit of repentance. You turn that thing through forgiveness. Come back to the intersection of where it started. Now, I can't, I'm not saying we turn the clock back. You go back to that event and say, now, wait a minute. Today, I deal with it. Today, I confront it. Whatever burned you up and burned you out and took from you and left you thinking everything was gone. Come back to that moment and make a different choice. Make a different choice. Hebrews 12 verse 15 says, Be careful lest a poisonous root of bitterness grow within you and destroy those around you. A few years back, we, we had moved into a different home. And when spring came, we, we moved into that home. Uh, matter of fact, it was like the Palm Sunday weekend. It's a very busy time. And it, the weather had not warmed up to where the grass was really starting to turn green. And so a few weeks after being in that home... Uh, as the weather was getting warmer, I looked out and there's some really wild stuff in my yard. Just growing weed. It just, and so I, I got on the phone and I called one of those lawn services and asked them to come out. And I said, can you treat this? They said, yes, we can treat this. Now this right here, I can put it on your yard. And in a few weeks, this will all be gone. I said, do you have anything on that truck that can nuke it today? I'm talking, I want to come out tomorrow and see this stuff. You know, I want it to, I, I mean, let's, let's go. At, he said, yes, sir, this, this right here. Now, it's going to cost a little more, but if I put, I, you better put the dog up. If I put this on your yard, it will go after it. It will, it will be aggressive. I said, let's, let's do that. And It worked. We must be aggressive with the root of bitterness or else it will grow in you. Notice, before anyone else realizes something's wrong, you will know something's wrong. We can hide behind the Sunday smile for a while. But ultimately, that which is growing within us is going to start affecting those around us to where now when you come into that person's airspace, you know you've just traveled across the enemy's line. And I don't want to be facetious or make light of a heart that is bitter and hurting, but but understand it begins to affect every relationship that you have. That's the result of going down Bitter Street. And we can't just kind of work with it. And let's go through a season of, let's just add a little bit of stuff. And ultimately, no, we need to be aggressive. We need to deal with it starting today. We need to come to the power of the cross to go to the root of the problem and deal with it so that you can turn down Bitter Street. 
I'm not saying, hey, why don't you, if you can, consider turning around and coming another way. I'm saying, slam on the brakes. Turn that life around. Quit nursing it. Quit rehearsing it. Quit cursing it. Turn your life. Turn it around. Turn the setback and make a comeback by the power of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Turn it. Turn it. As I was considering... This message, my mind attached to these stories we've been seeing of Columbine uh, now 10 years later. And maybe you saw the story where five of the students, among the many that were in school that day, are now teachers at Columbine. They feel that they're on mission, they They sense an assignment as teachers. I think about where they could be today. I think about Rachel Scott's family. Rachel, one of the young ladies killed in the Columbine school shooting. Her sister Dana, who goes throughout this nation giving a message called Rachel's Redemption. And it's a message of hope that has influenced thousands of people. Her brother, Craig Scott, who is now a filmmaker, he was also in the school shooting. He was not hurt in the shooting. He was one of the guys that helped a lot of people get to freedom. And after that, he has become a filmmaker, and he makes short films that inspire young people. He also makes films that show the impact on a teenager's mind that is constantly placing themselves before violent content. I think of Rachel's dad, who has now written five books, has spoken to over five million people, not counting the people that saw him on Oprah or Larry King. And he gives this message of hope On that day, 10 years ago, the Scott family came to an intersection and they had a choice to make. And they chose, not because it was easy and certainly not because it was automatic, but because they applied their power of choice Choosing to trust God in the dark. Choosing to trust God against all of the questions. They headed down Better Street and today they are making a deposit for eternity in the hearts and lives of millions of people. It was Beethoven who at age 46 lost his hearing and even after becoming deaf he wrote the fifth symphony he came to an intersection and could have said, I quit, I give it. Why has this happened to me? But no, he, he kept writing. Uh, Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. I'm sure that coach does not like to be talked about in this day. And Michael Jordan could have said, I'm never going to play basketball again. Nancy Grace, that perhaps you see on television every night you know she's a lawyer you know she goes after people her life is on mission her backstory is interesting she was engaged to be married 
and in just cold-blooded murder, these people took the life of her fiancé. After that, she goes to law school. After that, she says, I'm going to make a difference with my life. And she met another incredible, wonderful man. They now have children. Uh, She determined, she chose to head down better street. It's a choice. Why, Why spend time saying here are the three or seven or 10 steps of encouraging yourself in the Lord if we don't make the choice to open our hearts to the work of God. You have to make that choice. I promise you God will be faithful, but you have to make the choice. So here we are today and we have this context and in this room is the very power of God, God himself through the presence of the Holy Spirit with the greatest instrument, his love, playing a song of victory. And like the people in the station there in D.C., we can walk right by on our busy, bitter life. Or we can stop and see that what is hidden in plain view is the great physician. ready to make a difference. But you have to stop long enough. See, at the intersection, you yield and you stop. Don't just react. Don't just pass by. No, you stop. And you look down Bitter Street and see what happens if you take that road. You look down Better Street and see what happens if you take that road. And then resourcing your ability to choose better street is the presence of God that we often miss when we're hurting. When I'm hurting, I hurry because I'm trying to escape my own thoughts and certainly my pain. And I hurry right by the greatest of the great with the instrument of healing in his hands. He's come to where I am. I don't have to buy a seat, go to him. He comes to me in the flow of my everyday life, in my context to change my perception so that I can set priority and go down better street. I invite you to embrace his greatness right now.